Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Praise the Lord. As we start this new series today, that's like we talked about in Galatians, we're going to start talking about what Paul was calling out the church. But if you will today, I'm going to open your Bibles to Galatians chapter one, and I'm going to read. Start reading in verse six. But today, as as we start this new series, you know, last we talked about blaming the blame game, and last this last series, but this we're standing in liberty. But today, like I say, if you, you know, will join me in Galatians chapter 1 and verse 6. The Bible says, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called unto you the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than which ye have preached unto you, let him be a curse. As we said before, so say I now again. If any man preach any other gospel unto you than that that ye have received, let him be a curse. Verse 10 says, For do I, for do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? If I, if I please, yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. If you would, join me in prayer today. Lord, I ask you right now, Lord Jesus, to touch this earthly vessel. Lord, I ask you to move upon me today, Lord Jesus. As we go before us today, Lord Jesus, I ask you to touch this, 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 this lesson today, Lord Jesus. I ask you, Lord Jesus, to allow it to touch each one that's here today. Lord, I ask you to minister to us today, Lord Jesus, in this, in this congregation, Lord. Touch the remainder part of this service, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. As we, as we as a heritage, I grew up around church all my life, around this church, and we had people that went before us. We've had, you know, Brother Tummins and people that, men of God and Brother, you know, Brother Boyd, and we've had people that has preached this gospel. And they didn't just preach this gospel because it was something someone told them. Is this church, there was people, that this, this gospel was revealed to them. And this was not just, it was just a revelation. It wasn't just a, just someone that was taught. It was not just a message that was, this was present for it. This message was, was a revelation. And, and to the ones it's a revelation to, you, you know, you cannot take that away from them. When God shows you something, I grew up around church all my life, but when, when there, is a, there was a time and place in my life when God showed me some things. When he, he showed them things to me and revealed them to me, then it was real for me. It wasn't what I had been taught. It had been. It was something that had that, that was that was real and true to me. We cannot be ashamed of the gospel or the stance that our elders took that went before us. There was men that men and women that had went into where it was not popular. They stood for things that wasn't you know wasn't the, what everybody else believed. When God revealed this oneness message to the people in this area, it was different. It was a change. 
but they stood for what they believed. They stood for what was right. They stood for what the truth of the message. They preached and they, what they, and the message they stood on. We cannot be ashamed of that message. Today, I'm not going to apologize for them being different from the world they lived in. Because today, is we, and when I'm not going to apologize for us being different. Because the Bible says in Romans chapter 12, in verse 2, he says, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Our most important thing is we got to be in the will of God. doesn't matter what anybody else says. In times past, the church would condemn the message, our worship, and even some of the things that we do, the church world. They condemned us. But today, if, if you look at right, there's so many, so many churches, and I'm not getting on no denominations or casting stones at anyone, but so many people are trying to, to be like us, be like the worship, be like the, let's just be we're Pentecostal. I've talked to many churches in many places, and people, when, when I've met them, and they said, we're Pentecostal, and it doesn't matter what's on the sign of the door, they say they're Pentecostal, and I'm not de- denouncing that. But so many of them in today's world, they use the same vocabulary that we use, but they do not use the same dictionary. Yeah, they want to say we're saved and, and we have a renewing life, but they don't want to carry that back to the dictionary and define them words or them phrases they're saying. They want to, they want to say, use that vocabulary. They want to use that things in life, but they don't, want to, they don't want to refer it back to here. They don't want to find it back to there to find the truth of this and find that. And so they find themselves trying to change the message to fit their life. And tonight, today, that's what we're talking about, the only gospel. There's only one gospel. There's only one way to heaven, and that is through Jesus Christ. Our faith is built on the word of God. It ain't built on some man's, man's decision, or it's not made on, built on someone, what someone learned or someone, anything like that. Our, word, our, our faith is built on this right here. It's, it's built on the word of God. The word is the only foundation that we can build upon. We can't build on programs. We can't build on this, or we can't build on that. We can't build a church. Believe me, you cannot build a church on anything else. You got to build a church on the Word of God. You got to build your relationship on that Word. If your life is not reflecting what this Word says it is, you're going in the wrong direction. We must find ourselves being built on the Word of God. Today in the church, we find churches even straying from from this truth message. We find churches trying to trying to make it fit their lives. Instead of their life trying to fit it. And that's where we find so many places. And that's something similar that was happening in the church of Galleria. Paul was quick to address the issue at hand as he began this letter to the Galatians. Since Paul was no longer in Galatia, he could not mince his words or he didn't want to offend them. But even more, he had to give a warning to the Galatians about this desire consequences of falling away from the true message. He had to give them a warning. And that's what, when we read the text I read, he was warning them. He said, you're, you're so quick to fall away from what you know that's right. You're so quick to, to find a way of getting by this and getting by that in, in the word of God. And so Paul did not open this floor for debate. He didn't want to offend them. He didn't want to go in, you know, and sometimes I feel like, you know, we see someone doing something wrong. If we're not careful, we can throw that hand of judgment on them. 
but we cannot back up from that. You know, Paul, he said, I can't offend them, but he says, I gotta, I, but I cannot open the floor up for debate. I can't say, well, what, what do y'all think about this? Here, Paul was saying, he's, what he was saying, he said, this is the truth, and why are you, why are you fading away from it? He simply declared the truth of the situation and presented his case on their error. That's all he did. He said, Here, here's where you're wrong, and you need to turn back this way. He chose his words carefully. Again, like I said, is not to offend them, but yet his words was honest, and they were direct. He didn't beat around the bush. He just said what he had to say. And I feel like Brother Paul, he was one of them type of, he was just that type of person. He did, he, through reading behind him and his messages to the church, when we read behind things that he said and things, the letters he gave to them, he didn't beat around the bush about things. He just told them, told them straight what was, what was going wrong and, and how to correct that. And that's what Paul, he took time, but Paul took time to write a letter. You know, he wrote them a letter. He didn't, you know, he, could, he wasn't there, so he wrote them a letter. Something that, you know, could have been used against him should he be an error or have, if he used, had used offensive words? You know, so many times in this world today of technology, you know, we look at things and when I, when I text someone something, especially about church or something like that, I make sure it's accurate. And you need to be accurate in everything you say, but when you text something, put it in word, you cannot never wipe that out. And so sometimes I believe when Paul, he wrote this, if he had been error, they could have held this document or this letter as, as, as evidence in his trial. And so, so anytime we say something, anytime we share something, if someone's having a question, or, or when we, especially when we're trying to rebuke someone or, or help correct someone, maybe not rebuke them, but correct them, we need to make sure that we're doing it with the right spirit. We must understand that the honesty and directness, it can offend people when they're, when they're guilty of something wrong. Just like we talked about in the last series or the last time I actually spoke about on the blame, he was blaming people. And so many times in life, you know, when someone's wrong, the first thing they want to do is blame someone else. And so if, 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 you're, if you go into that and you're correcting someone or something, something about something they are guilty of wrong, the first thing is, is they're looking a way out. That's just our flesh. And so when we look a way out, if you're not careful with your words, you can, you can actually you can offend someone, but we cannot allow that to stop us from righting the wrongs that we see in this world. You know, we need to do it with the right spirit. Therefore, we must ensure that we pray and we seek the anointing of the Holy Spirit before we engage in any confrontations. Before we, if we see something we think we need to correct, we need to let the pastor correct most things. But we need to allow, but if we see something in our own family or even in someone we see that we cannot wait on, we need to make sure God is there. We may pray, God, give us the right spirit. Let me say this the right way. Because there's been times in my life that I had to, to correct someone. I had to, someone, in, even in, in when I was a pa- during my pastor, and when I was pastor, when, when I was correcting someone, I prayed, God, I didn't want to go into that situation. Because I learned real quick, like, I could mess it up. My, my theory or my way of what, what needs to happen, a lot of times is not the way it needs to happen. But there's been times and situations when, when I really got on my knees and prayed about a situation before I confronted them or before we, we even engaged in, a, in the conversation, God had already worked it out. They were on the right page. 
when I, what I said, God had already affirmed in their life. And so sometimes, you know, that's what we need to do first before we go to anyone in correction. We first need to go to God. Carry it to God first. Because God can handle situations that we cannot handle because we see things out of our own what we see. And we can mess things up. We can mess. God may be carrying them down a road and to bring them back where we need them to. We don't need to, to get into confrontation with someone and correct them if, we don't, if we're not first cared that to God. Paul questioned the Galatians as to why they had quickly, so quickly deserted the original gospel. In the text I read, he, he addressed the issue outright, stating that the Galatians had turned to another gospel. But it was in fact that they had they had turned to no gospel at all. Paul was quick to call them out, call the people out who had been causing confusion over the new message. That's who Paul confronted, he was talking to. The ones that here that is stirring this pot. He says, he's, he's calling them out on that. And sometimes in life, you know, I don't want to be the one that, that causes someone else to fall. I, I pray every day that I don't do something in my actions or I don't do something in what I say in conversation to make someone else lead them in astray, lead them in a wrong direction. But so many times in life, if we're not careful, if we're not prayerful, we can just do just that. Contemporary Christians are equal as people that, who are seeking to diminish the gospel message. There are so many people in the t- contemporary world of Christianity that are seeking to diminish the true gospel message because it don't fit their, their life. And so that's why they want to, they, they don't want to stand by the, what this word says. So, so they come up with these ways and reasons to get around the things that they don't, they don't apply or don't want to apply to their life. The real, the, the, they appeal to the fleshly desires for material things or to alternative lifestyles in order to tempt individuals to compromise. They use the material things of this world to tempt individuals to compromise. As humans, we often are impressed by individuals' personalities, education, wealth, and even in their public status. And so many times in life, you know, when we look at someone, we look at, well, they've got a great personality or they're well-educated or wealthy. They must have everything right. And so, so many times we're, we're impressed by that. And so this can intimidate people or it even can give people an affirming ideals that, that are contrary to the word of God. Sometimes we look at people's lives and we say, well, they, they, they may not be where, they may, may not be lining up to the word of God, but everything looks right in their life. Their job, they're prospering in their job and they're, they're doing this. So some, God must be blessing them. Their education, you know, they, they, they're, they're well-educated, they're, they're wealthy, their job is, their, their, their occupation or their career or their, their business is being blessed. So God must be blessing them. So they must be doing things okay. So, so why can't I just reflect my life after them? And so many times in life, if we're not careful, we can allow prosperity and we can allow things of this world to be contrary, you know, to, to affirm us or to tempt us to, letting down our standards, letting down our lives because we see someone else. And, you know, we, we, we try not to do that. We try not to judge our life by everybody else. But so many times in life, it's so easy as flesh. We say, well, oh, so-and-so, they're not, they don't, you know, they're not faithful at church and their jobs is being prosperous. 
So I think I could get by just like they're getting by. I think I can get by like them. And we try to judge ourselves and we try to we allow that, that part of life to intimidate us or to give us a, affirming ideals that we can get by just like they do. In North America, the North American church, the prosperity gospel works to glamorize the true gospel by teaching that God does not attend for his people to live poor. The, the American church, you know, the prosperity gospel. I've heard people say, if, if, you, if, you're, if you're believing God or if you're, if you're right with God, your job, your career, you know, you'll, you'll prosper on your job. I've heard people say, if you live right, if you're right with God, I've, God will heal you of this sickness because you ain't healed by this sickness. There must be something wrong, that prosperity and I know a gentleman, in my, and I've met him before and, and kind of conversed about this. And he said, you know, I, he believes that if, you know, as long as you're right with God, your finances, you'll never have financial problems. But I'm here today to tell you, I've been living around church for a long time. And the bill collectors, don't, that don't change the bill collectors. That don't change the, the financial, how much money. It don't make that money increase at the end of the week because you live for God. Sometimes you know, it don't make. Sometimes you think, well, if you, and I've heard them people say this before. You know, if you're right with God and your relationship's right with God, you won't never get sick. And I'm like, but I've been around church long enough. I know some really Christian people. I may not be that person, but I know some really Christian people that, that battle some sickness. I know some really people that's close with God, and I know they're. And I know you can't judge a book by its cover, but but I know people that are, has a relationship with God that's battled through sickness. So you may not, you know, it may not be financial blessings. It's not, you know, you don't. We don't live for God for what we can get here. We live for God for what we gonna get there. So it doesn't matter what what we get here today. Our relationship, what we're battling for, what we're fighting for here, is not what we can get here. It is for what we can get. Later, throughout history, human beings have tried to fashion the gospel toward the trend of a particular era. Prior to the 20th century, the new thought culture became popular as the development of the, the psychotherapy became more prominent. The mind over matter concept leaned toward making humanity into a type of deity responsible for their own personal mental well-being. You know, and I'm not talking about downing psychologists today because they have their place. But, but so many times that mind over matter. I've heard people say, if you get your mind right, you can overcome anything. And I do know we have to have a made-up mind to live for God. We have to have a made-up mind to live for God, but that ain't where our power comes from. When we, when we get our minds right and we live for God right, God will take care of the situation. God will take care of the things we face. It's not what, what, it's not what our mind is creating. It's what God is doing through us. But so many times in life they said, if you're able to overcome any addiction or accept unacceptable behavior through mental behavior modification. So if you think you can do it, you can do it. And, and there's so much that, so much truth to that, but there's so much truth that so many people take that credit on their self. They take that and say, well, if I, if I can just mind over matter, I can change the situation. But we can't do nothing but change, we can't do nothing but change but what God allows us to change. God is the one that changes anything in our life. God bring, opens the sun, brings the sun up in the day and the sun sets in the afternoon because God allows it to. Everything in our life we face, God allows and God, God changes in our life. 
So we can't change one thing about ourselves. The Bible says, you know, in Proverbs, it says you cannot, no matter how much thought you put put forth, you cannot make a, the flower can't grow or you can't do this in life. You can't change one inch of your stature. I can't say today, I want to be 6'2 today. That's not going to change that. I can think it all I want, but when I walk into the, and get measured, I'm still way below 6'2". Every morning I walk and step on that scale and I want that scale to say one thing, but that scale says something else. It don't matter how much I think about it, how much I say, well, pray even, sometimes I sit in there, I say, well, Lord, I want this scale to go down a little bit, so I step up on it and it goes right back to that same spot. So I can't think, think, think things in my life. I can't change things because of my mind. I can't. So today is the Galatians sought to be accepted by the Jewish Christians, thus allowing additional atoms, amendments to be added to their gospel. Here they was, they were trying to be accepted by the Jewish people. They'd be trying to be trying to be accepted by them, so they was allowing things to be added. They was allowing their law to be added back to their to their gospel. Certain human government documents, such as the United States Constitution, it can be amended as needed in order to form, as the U.S. Constitution says, a more perfect union. You can take earthly documents that, that man written, that man put on paper. Man law, man-made laws can be added to or took away. And they do that because in the Constitution, they made room for uh, to be amended because as we make these laws, as we saw with our eyes, men, men made these laws as they saw what they could see in that time in their life. But that time changed because they couldn't see the future. So in the future, they had to amend the Constitution. They've had to put amendments in the Constitution to change what the first, to make it a better perfect union. However, the gospel message is already perfect and does not need to be amended to order to be to modified. Because God made God wrote this gospel. God put this in place. And God, God sees the past. He sees the future. And so God didn't did nothing took God by surprise. There's things that there's there's precepts and things that God established throughout the Old Testament that, that still stands true today. They say, well, that's the Old Testament. But God knew what we was going to face today. He knew some of the sins and things that we were going to face today. Some of the things that's in our headlines today that we battle every day as a church. Some of these things God put in place before to, to, to start ahead or get ahead of that. And so in life, you know, we find ourselves facing things. God already put something in place. And so he don't, he don't, his word don't need to be amended. His word don't need to be changed. This word has been as true for for as many years as it's been true, it's, it's, it's still the same. It's still powerful as it was the day that these men of God put these words to paper because these words was not what they thought. It was what God inspired them to write. God wrote this word, and God put this, play, this gospel in, in place, and God didn't have, don't need to be amended. It don't need to be changed. So why, what does it give us the time? It gives us the thing because we see what we see. We want to change the word. We want to change what we think it means. But today, this one true gospel, and this true gospel, is, we have to keep it true. Paul declared whom he was who he who whom he was seeking to please. He said, "Paul, understand how peer pressure and intimidation can factor into human characteristics of compromise. By deciding 
emphatically that he sought to please God over men. In Galatians 1 and 10, he was proclaiming the mindset that the Galatians needed to have in order to avoid compromising the gospel. He said in Galatians 10 and 1, I mean 1 and 10, he says, For do I now persuade men or God? He's asking this question. He says, Or do I seek to please men? For if I, for I yet please men, I should not be a servant of Christ. He says, I'm not here to please man. I'm not pleased here to please man. I'm here to please God. And if I keep my relationship with God right, there are other relationships that fall in place. But we got to get our relationship with God right. And then the words won't be worried about what, what does this mean or what does that mean. God will give us the revelation of what this means, what he wanted it to mean, not what we wanted it to mean. The words of Paul seem to echo the words of Joshua. He said in Joshua, in Joshua chapter 24, he says, Choose you this day whom ye will serve. And that's what Paul was saying. He was saying this is what Joshua was meaning. He said, you choose today, and every one of us here today, doesn't matter our age or, or, or how long we've been around church, we must make that decision. We must choose today who we're going to serve. And our purpose is to serve others. You know, as a church body, we serve people. We help people. But serving people is not the same as pleasing people. You know, we, we are called to help people along. We help, we're called to help people make it to heaven. But uh, I learned a long time ago, you can't please everyone. You can try to please someone. And you know who is going to make miserable? Yourself. You're going to be miserable, and you're still not going to please them. It doesn't matter what you try to do. You're not going to please them. However, a parent prepares a meal for a child often a vegetable is provided for proper nutrients most children are, children are not avid fans of vegetables the only one child I know that eats vegetables <laughs> a young child is Ella Josh and Summer's little girl she loves tomatoes she'll eat tomatoes and nothing else she, but there's not very many children loves vegetables so you have to Kind of make them eat that. Most children are they're not they're not they're not fans of vegetables. When children do not understand the long term benefits of the proper nutrients, parents are serve they're serving their children by feeding them something. Our parents are parents are sorry. Let me get back where I was at. Most children are not avid fans of vegetables, and so sometimes when you know, a parent tries to feed them their vegetables, I mean I can remember times when I was a child. My mom says, "You're not getting up until you eat all them peas." <laughs> You're not getting up until you eat all that vegetables. And in, in my life, you know, as I remember as a child, I didn't really care for vegetables. I'd rather have the meat or the bread. That's, that was kind of my thing. But mom put a love for, she kept on, she said, you're going to eat them vegetables because they're good for you. And in my life now, I love vegetables. I'd rather eat vegetables than anything else. But today, but it's not because I just but because put a love for that in me. But sometimes we have to, we have to as a parents, we had to, Make our children eat something that was good for them. May not, it may not be vegetables. Sometimes, you know, child, if you look at a child, most of the time, most children would rather have a cookie or ice cream. Things that's not really good for you. They're good. They're really good, but they're not really good for you. But, you know, we're, if we're not serving the children, if we allow them to eat something that, that's not good for them all, all, all the time. 
Perhaps a parent mixes vegetables or, or fruit. Because I don't know how, about how vegetables and ice cream would work. But if you, perhaps you mix some fruit with ice cream. Just say, well, I'm just going to mix this fruit in with this ice cream. And that way they'll get their fruit. However, by doing so, the parent dilutes the nutrients of the vegetable or the fruit. You know, so sometimes, you know, we say, well, I'll get, maybe they'll just, I can get them to eat the ice cream and they'll have the fruit in it. But by doing that, we dilute the, the nutrients out of the, out of the fruit or the vegetable. Or sometimes it introduces unhealthy calories into the mix, thus making the vegetable or the fruit no value. This analog demonstrates is, is how we please others. We, we can become suitable by diluting the gospel with false doctrine designed to please men and not God. Just like we're diluting that, that vegetable, that fruit, when we add that ice cream to it. We're diluting what it does for us. When we allow false doctrines, we, we allow something in it to make it more pleasing to the man, to this gospel. That's what we're doing. We, we're, we're diluting it down to where it's not no good for us. It's not going to be the same, have the same impact in our life if, if it's diluted. So when you water down this message... It's just, you're just doing the same thing as with the ice cream. You're just diluting it. And also, you're going to be adding things into that that's not healthy. You're going to be adding things into that situation in that gospel. You're going to be adding things. And that's where, that's where it happens because, you know, just like the children, they, they would rather have the ice cream and the fruits. And, I, and I've saw, in, in a case like this, I've seen people with kid, children do this, and I've seen them pick the fruit out and just eat the ice cream. And you look at the plate after they get through and all the fruits, the good stuff is still piled over here in the corner and, and all the, the stuff that's not good is, is, is gone. And so sometimes just, that's just the way the gospel is. If you, if you start trying to dilute this word down or you start trying to, to add something in it to make it more pleasing, after a while all you're going to have left is the things that's pleasing. And what, what the things, is the correcting things, the things in your life that's going to make you Make you be, you know, make you do right, and the things that's going to impact your relationship with God, it's all going to be still left on the plate. And so we make, we cannot dilute, we cannot add, or we cannot take away. Hopefully, over time, children will grow and come to the understanding of the value of the proper nutrients. And so we must grow as a child. We must grow into this Word of God, even though the things that don't taste good, the things that things that don't sit right with us or the things like this here, we got to add it all to our life. we got to have the things that, that don't go good with what our flesh wants. we got to take that into our life and we got to take that and, and apply it to our life because as we become adults, as Christian adults, we learn that some of that stuff that didn't taste good, some of that stuff that was hard to get down, some of it we thought was medicine, like taking a medicine, holding our nose and just to swallow it to get it down and and sometimes we, we, after later on in life, we realize, hey, that, that, that that I couldn't stand to eat or that that I didn't want is what's holding me. That's what's giving me strength. That's what's keeping me going when, when things come hard. And, and that's what a child don't realize in the food. They, they got to have these nutrients for their body to grow. And so if we, if we don't have the nutrients of the Word of God in our life, we're not going to grow. And we're going to be unhealthy. We're going to be unhealthy Christians. Paul was warning Paul's warning is still relevant to the church today, and we should be vigilant not to stray toward other gospels. Paul did not seek to admonish the Galatians in his confrontation, but his intent was to warn them about the dangers of seeking, seeking the pleasing of men instead of pleasing God. He was directing this in point 
pointing out that Galatians was quick to turn away from God and turn away, and turn away to this message. There was an article written by Charles Stone. In this article, it was titled, What's Wrong with People Pleasing? And this, there was a survey done in this article, and he, he wrote this article. And he said there was 1,200 pastors that was surveyed. And these 1,200 pastors, there was 91% admitted to people-pleasing tendencies in their degrees of their ministry. 91% of 1,200 pastors admitted to changing their gospel to please people. That is, that is an alarming fact. Have, having a desire to please people is not inherently a bad characteristic. However, when it begins to compromise what God has already declared in order to please people, we are treading on dangerous waters. Today, you know, Paul, you know, we look at Paul's life and we say, you know, how did Paul have the, why did Paul, you know, here he was correcting, and I'm, I know I'm going to talk about it in just a minute. Paul was correcting Peter in the gospel in Acts chapter 10 because Peter had succumbed to some of the tendencies of the, to please some of the people, and he was kind of, I mean, I'm not saying he was watering down the gospel, but Paul corrected him. He, and, and, and what he was saying is, you know, it wasn't that Paul was just trying to create problems. But what Paul was trying to do is here he, he has seen the, the arrow of the era of the ways of the Christians in, in Galatians and he's and here in this other story in Acts ten. And in this in this story he, what Paul do is Paul knew what living by the law was all about. He had studied the law. He had pursued Christians because they weren't living up to the law. Before his conversion, they, you, know, you couldn't tell Paul about the law because that's what Paul thought he was doing or saw. It was before his conversion, but he thought he was doing right because he was, he was perfecting the law. And that's why he was doing that. You know, and so he knew the dangers of adding in the Jewish law back into the gospel. He knew the dangers of allowing things to, to, to be watered down a little bit because he said, I've been there. I've been there and I've done, you know, I've already done that. I was being, I was wrong. I was killing Christians for preaching the gospel because I was trying to help perfect the law. And so he says, when you add something or you take away something, when you, when you add back, even though we think that it's right, if you start changing things in this here, before you know it, you'll be so far off, you'll be persecuting the very ones that you believe in. It's sad reality. Whenever we compromise our principles to gain approval, we lose our credibility as Christians. Our personal testimony is one of our most powerful tools we have to walk our faith in our walk of faith. Some people do not believe the Bible is infallible, the infallible word of God. When we meet people on the streets, they don't believe they believe this book is just a book like, like any other book. Nor, they do, nor do they trust any denominational churches. So many, some people have been hurt by churches. They've been, had church hurt and they've been through this and through that. And so many people won't listen to a preacher because they've heard all the horror stories. They've heard all the, the what the media has portrayed as a church. And we find places in life, you know, we, but, but our personal testimony, they, they believe that. With, our, with many words of reference, 
we will refute, they will refute any of these things before. They, ref, re, they refute any like the churches or the, or the Bible. They, they'll find ways to, def, uh, to, to diminish what, they, what you try to tell them by that. Yet they cannot refute a person's testimony. The blind man, the blind man said, when they, asked, they was questioning him about his healing, they was questioning about who healed him. He says, all I know is I was once blind and now I see. And so he, he, he said, well, I don't know what, the, what happened here. I don't know how this happened. All I know is I could not see yesterday and I can see today. And he says, so you can't take, and so it didn't matter what anybody argued with this blind man. You couldn't convince him that he wasn't healed. He knew he couldn't see and now he can see. And so, so many times in life, you know, we find ourselves with our testimony. When God has healed our bodies, nobody can take that back. Nobody can refute that. Nobody can, nobody can water that down because we know the truth. We know our testimonies. We know when God has touched us, when God has saved us, brought us away from addictions and brought us away from things in life. We cannot go back on that. Nobody can take that away from us. Even more of a visible change of our behavior and attitude and outlook should provide a living testimony. What people see in us should be a living testimony to those who are watching us from a distance. And I'm here today to tell you, every one of us, somebody is watching you. Someone's watching you at all the time. Just go look at the time. The time's slapping on by. Today we face problems of people following trends that diminish the gospel message with doctrines and that emphasize material gain or living in the worldly manner. Paul understood the dangers of the restrict the restrictive ordinance versus the unyielding grace of the gospel. He knew that he knew the dangers of of the just being living by the law. Or he versus living by the grace of the gospel. He understood that there was must be be a comprom- there must not be a compromise in the doctrine to please those who may carry influences in our life. Skip down just a few here because. But Paul declared the liberty found only in Jesus Christ. No one could dispute Paul's understanding of that burden imposed by the law. Those living in North America are accustomed to are not accustomed to the subjection of the higher authorities in the, in the day of the Bible. When we read the Bible times, they were, they were under higher authorities of kings and things in their life, and they could lose their life for not being what their God wanted them to, or what they didn't live up to the law. They could be took their life, and we don't live that in America. We have the freedom, and today we, we celebrate that freedom as today, but we, but we, must, we must realize just like they did in that day, we cannot. We got to keep this gospel true in life in our life. We do not. We do make poor choices and fall, but there is not an excuse for a, a sinful life. In life, we find ourselves. You know, we, we do make poor decisions. We find ourselves, but we can't make an excuse for a, for a pursuit of sinful living. If a person is allergic to eating peanuts. Would that person keep eating peanuts? Most people would say no. But there are some people that will keep eating peanuts because they love the taste of them. 
the study says they would still eat the peanuts. doesn't matter how bad the sickness they get. They, they love peanuts, so they'll keep eating them. This seems ridiculous, but, you know, sometimes in life we find them, you know, just going over what it costed them. It seems a ridiculous example compared to someone who is addicted to drugs and alcohol, but it is the same principle. People will do anything, will do things that are bad for them all the while knowing these things would damage their physical and spiritual well-being. So it is with those who receive salvation yet return to sinful living. Sometimes when we, 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 we have salvation in life, we, we, we find ourselves returning to sinful things that we used to battle. And by doing that, we're just doing the same thing. We're eating them peanuts knowing we're going to can't breathe here in a few minutes and we're going to maybe need life support. But we're still eating peanuts. But that's to be the same principle as us, God redeeming us, God forgiving us for sin and then going right back and doing them again. We find ourselves and we do it every day. Paul did not see it that way. Instead, he, he highlighted the liberty of the consequences we experience when we are the honest in our words and deeds and liberty in our minds that when we are not under the influence of addictions, we experience liberty in our own abilities to love and to forgive others in the world that would seek out restitution for being wronged. So many times in this world, we look for someone to blame, but today we must put this gospel, we must live right and do things right. Philippians 4 and 7 says, And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. I want to share a quick story, just a short story. Actually, this story was in the notes to read about this minister, Brother Reverend Charles Mahaney. Now, I'm just going to do a short story. I know we're running out of time, but I just want to share this short story. I was privileged three years ago to be in Arkansas at the National Prison Conference. And in that prison conference, they had a, one day they honored Brother Charles Mahaney in that conference. We had a banquet, and I got to meet, and I had heard of Charles Mahaney all my life in ministry, you know, as a minister. I got to meet his wife and his sons and daughter-in-laws and their grandchildren. We had a banquet that night, and I sat with his son, Nick Mahaney, for two hours at uh, the banquet. He happened to just sat down beside me, and we talked about the, his dad's testimony and about his testimony. But we, I talked about them, so I kind of, when I read this saw these notes and I saw this, I was like, that's kind of neat that the story in this was about Brother Mahaney's testimony. So I said, well, I just feel like, you know, I just wanted to share that part because I, I got a little more of the testimony than what this here is. But, but the late, the Bible says in this story, it says the late Reverend Charles Mahaney was well-known minister inside, this, inside and outside the United Pentecostal Church. His conversion testimony is an amazing demonstration of how the power of God changes lives. Charlie, as he was called, grew up in a home racked with conflict as a result of alcohol and drug abuse. As an adult, he continued into that depth of sin, him, him, him himself, because he becoming a leader of a motorcycle gang and occurring a history of criminal activity. He admitted in being incarcerated more than 10 times. However, at some point on this destructive road, he crossed paths with one of the late, with the late Denver, with the Reverend Denver Stanford, 
Brother Stanford became relentless in the pursuit of trying to win Charlie to the Lord. After another encounter with the law, Charlie again found himself in prison for a long sentence. He testified to calling on the Lord, stating, Lord, if you will get me out of jail, I will be the biggest nut for God you have ever seen. And if you heard any stories about Brother Charlie Mahaney, he was a nut for God. After praying that prayer, Charlie began to sing an old hymnal, and the spirit of, the, spirit of peace filled the jail cell. He said it was unlike anything he had ever experienced. Sometime later, the judge who was, had sentenced him called the warden of the prison and recalled his sentence, allowing Charlie to go free. Not, a long, after, not long after, Charlie decided to make the good on his promise and went to visit Pastor Stanford's church. During this service, Charlie became, became overwhelmed with the emotions and made his way to the altar where he repented of his sins and filled with the Holy Ghost. Shortly after he was baptized in Jesus' name, Charlie said he never felt so clean in his life. At some point in Charlie's life, he discovered that he was a Jewish descendant. After his conversion, his knowledge, this knowledge motivated him to, to delve deeply into the Hebrew studies and languages. As his ministry began to grow, he was able to understand the Jewish Christian connections in a very personal way. He never swayed from the fundamental doctrine, the gospel of the gospel. Brother Mahaney's personal history of Jewish descent and his firsthand knowledge of incarceration also helped him shape his ministry. Regardless of his previous influences, he maintained the message of the gospel, not being swayed by the, his lineage or the celebrated status of other people he had encountered. He was known as a staunch defender of the faith in Jewish and in Christian circles. Brother Charlie Mahaney, as the stories of his son shared with me, they've been all over the world. Brother Mahaney preached this gospel all over the world, and it didn't matter what he faced, his world, his life. And he's, I've heard him say it, he's in the messages I've heard from him preach where he said, I was over the prison ministry because I knew how it was to be in prison. I, was, I, was, I worked in addiction ministries because I knew where, that's where I came from. And in his life, he, he had been through a lot of things, but it, but it didn't matter what he, his influences in his life. And I've heard his son say that he, he prayed for high officials. I heard him, I mean, heard him on his own self pray for President Bill Clinton. I mean, he prayed for people like that. You know, I mean, people that influence on people. But it didn't matter how high he got, how many influential people he was around, or even his background of the Jewish law and all the study he knew, and he could speak. He was really educated in that law after he became a Christian, and it did not influence his gospel message. That saving message that went before him, he did not change. And so today, as we, we, we his testimony, we stands true today. His testimony of where he came from. And you don't have to have a testimony like him to have a testimony. But today if someone is battling things in their life, and if, if they're, it don't matter how far you get away, him and his son's testimony, I've, I've, if you, I've, because I'm friends with his son now, their testimony shows you can't get too far away from God. 
You can't get too deep away from God that God can't reach down and pick you back up. So today, if, we, if God, if, if today, if the enemy is trying to fool you to, well, he, if the God knows what I've done, he's not going to worry about me no more. Brother Charlie Mahaney and Brother Nick Mahaney, their, their testimony shows it. He, he reaches down and gets them in the middle of the prison, in the middle of the services. So today it doesn't matter, we, but we must keep this gospel true. We cannot, we cannot water it down. We cannot change it today. So today as we, as we just close the service, let's stand today and let's pray that God will give us the anointing to, to never change this message. Lord, I ask you to touch us and anoint us today. Lord, I ask you to move upon us today, Lord Jesus, in this, this congregation, Lord. Lord, this word, this gospel, Lord Jesus, let's keep it true. Lord Jesus, allow it. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806, or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening, and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.